tonight. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do that. Chapter 14 and verse number 1, and then uh, we're just going to read verse uh, number 1 here, and then we'll pray, and I'll give you the title, and we'll get right into the message. The Bible says, Now Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was toward Absalom. We're going to look at this title tonight, The Poison of Disillusionment. The Poison of Disillusionment. I'll explain that word disillusionment in just a little bit more uh, detail here in a moment. Let's pray. God, tonight help each of us to look deep into our own hearts and, Lord, identify where our spirit is wrong, where our mentalities are broken, Lord, where we've let uh, the, the sin of others against us uh, taint us, and, Lord, where we are crying out for vengeance, where we should be turning that vengeance over to heaven. And, Lord, uh, tonight, help us to deal with any disillusionment in our heart so that we don't have any form of a repeat of what happened with David and Absalom. Somewhere in the room tonight, Lord, there, there is a child who is disillusioned with a parent or a parent with a child. There's a husband and wife who are growing apart uh, over a past uh, mistake or indiscretion that was made. Uh, Lord, maybe even between church members. Lord, may these things not be said about us. May we give these things over to you. Show us, Lord, through story tonight uh, what happens when we let sin go uh, uh, undealt with, when we let it fester. Lord, uh, work in each heart individually. Spirit of God, I can preach the truth, but you need to be the one that drives it home and change hearts. I know you want to do that. May each one of us be open and ready to receive uh, the, the convicting and prodding of your spirit, uh, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We all go through life with expectations. In fact, it's impossible to live life without expectations. We have expectations on ourselves. We have expectations uh, uh, for how our day is to go. We have expectations when you come into church, you learn to expect some things. You have expectations on your family. You have expectations on your friends. You have expectations on your boss and your co-workers. And when those expectations aren't met, it can, lead to, uh, uh, it can lead to discouragement. And discouragement often takes place, especially when we have our expectations set high. Solomon said it this way. He said, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And we've all experienced that where we had hope that something was going to go a certain way and uh, only to have that taken away from us seemingly at the last moment and uh, you're left with a heart that feels sick or frustrated and uh, emotionally you're downtrodden and that discouragement can set in and uh, you have to learn how to deal with that. What do you do when you feel utterly betrayed? What do you feel when you feel, what do you do when you feel like someone has just stabbed you in the back or kicked you in the mouth and uh, walked away from you in a way that's cold-hearted and nasty. Uh, how do you handle those things? My friend, if you don't deal with people hurting you properly, that discouragement will turn into bitterness, and that bitterness long-term will turn into disillusionment. When I think of Absalom, the word I think of that best describes Absalom is the word disillusioned. He was disillusioned. Uh, Absalom held his dad to a fair but high standard. When Amnon uh, took advantage of his half-sister Tamar, he waited for dad to step up and punish uh, 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 Amnon. And when dad let it go, uh, that 
began to fester in his heart. And that turned into a disillusionment. We know that uh, Amnon's life philosophy was, I don't get mad, I get even. And he was very contemplative and cold-blooded. And he planned out carefully Amnon's death. We saw in chapter 13 that he had a celebration of the sheep being sheared. And he invited uh, the king and his sons to come to that. And that would be his father and all of his uh, brothers, half-brothers. And when the king wouldn't come, he persuaded him to send Amnon in his stead. Two years after Amnon had raped Tamar, two years he kept his mouth shut. Two years he said nothing. And uh, Amnon arrives only to have Absalom have his servants Kill Amnon in front of all of the king's sons in cold blood. Amnon has left and gone to stay with his uh, grandparents there in the land of Geshur, where they're king of the land of Geshur. And when we pick up in 14, we are uh, now a couple of years removed from Amnon being murdered by Absalom and Absalom uh, in, uh, uh, there in uh, Geshur. Pick up with me in chapter 14 and let's, uh, let's look at the narrative here. The way I'm going to structure this tonight is I'm going to give you uh, a, another point on the outline there to fill in the blank. We'll read the verses. I'll make some comments and we'll move forward from there. So let's jump in. Number one, notice David's emotional confusion. David's emotional confusion. Now we saw leading up to even Amnon and Tamar and Absalom, we saw David's sin and how David really set this whole thing up. Nathan told David that these things would happen and that he uh, would be punished and the sword would not depart from his family as a result. And so um, uh, David now, he is just in an emotional bind. Look back at verse number 1 of chapter 14. The Bible says, Now Joab, the son of Zariah, and this would be equivalent to uh, David's chief of staff. This is his right-hand man, also a relative of his, perceived that the king's heart, look here, was toward Absalom. Now Absalom again has fled. He's gone, uh, but David longs for Absalom, and he loves Absalom. And you think, well, pastor, that doesn't seem like confusion. That seems pretty straightforward. We'll get a little bit deeper in the chapter, and we'll see that David, while he longed for and missed uh, 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 Absalom, he also didn't want to see Absalom because he was still hurt over all that had happened. Notice here, letter A, notice Joab's ploy. Joab's ploy. Let's read from verse 2 down through verse number 20 and do your very best to follow along with the narrative here of what's happening. I'll give you a brief summary of it after we read, but try not to check out mentally. Don't daydream. Uh, Lock in here and follow the story as we read along. The Bible says, and Joab sent to Tekoa and fetched thence a wise woman and said unto her, I pray thee, feign thyself to be a mourner and put on new mourning apparel and anoint not thyself with oil. But be as a woman that had a long time mourned for the dead. And come to the king, and speak on this manner unto him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. And when the woman of Tekoa spake to the king, she fell on her face to the ground, and did obeisance, and said, Help, O king. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, I am indeed a widow woman, and mine husband is dead. And thy handmaid had two sons, and they two strove together in the field. 
and there was none to part them, but the one smote the other and slew him. So we have a Cain and Abel type situation. Uh, so she says, where a brother kills his brother, okay, and she has no husband. Verse 7, And behold, the whole family is risen against thine handmaid, or against me. And they said, Deliver him that smote his brother, that we may kill him for the life of his brother whom he slew, and we will destroy the heir also, and so they shall quench my coal which is left, and shall not leave to my husband uh, neither name nor remainder upon the earth. And the king said unto the woman, Go to thine house, and I will give charge concerning thee. So he promises protection to her personal autonomy. Verse 9, And the woman of Tekoa said unto the king, My lord, O king, the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. And the king said, Whoever shall, uh, whoever uh, saith aught unto thee, bring him to me, and he shall not touch thee any more. Uh, but she's going to persist. She doesn't just want protection for herself. Verse eleven. Then she said, I pray thee, let the king remember the Lord uh, thy God that that uh, thou wouldst not suffer the revengers of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of thy son fall to the earth. So now she's gotten protection for her son from the king. Then the woman said, Let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak one word unto the Lord, unto my Lord the king. And he said, Say on. And the woman said, Wherefore then hast thou thought such a thing against the people of God? For the king doth speak this thing as one which is faulty, and that the king doth not fetch home again his banished, speaking of Absalom, for we must needs die and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person, yet doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. So she's beginning to reveal to the king, this story's not true. I have brought this to your attention because Absalom needs to come home. Now therefore that I am come to speak of this thing, verse 15, unto my Lord, the king, it is because the people have made me afraid. And thy handmaid said, I will now speak unto the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his handmaid. For the king will hear to deliver his handmaid out of the hand of the man uh, that would destroy me and my son together out of the inheritance of God. So she's still trying to cloak this a little bit. Verse 17, then thine handmaid said, The word of my lord the king shall now be comfortable, for as an angel of God, so is my lord the king to discern good and bad. Therefore the lord thy king will be with thee. So the king now, David, is going to read between the lines of what she's saying. Look at 18. Then the king answered and said unto the woman, Hide not from me, I pray thee, the thing that I shall ask thee. And the woman said, Let my lord the king now speak. And the king said, Is not the hand of Joab with thee in all this? And the woman answered and said, As thy soul liveth, my lord the king, none can turn to the right hand or to the left from aught that my lord the king hath spoken. For thy servant Joab, he bade me, and he put all these words in the mouth of thine handmaid. To fetch about this form of speech hath thy servant Joab done this thing. And my lord is wise, according to the wisdom of an angel of God, to know all things 
that are in the earth. So Joab knows he can't just walk into David's throne room and say, Hey, you know what? I can tell you, Miss Absalom, why don't you just let me go get him? And David, in his pride, is not just going to say, You know what, uh, Joab, you're right. Go get Absalom from his grandparents' house and bring them all back here. Uh, instead, he decides to play on David's tender heart. And so he goes and gets a woman who's a wise woman and a uh, middle-aged woman. And um, he has her put on mourning clothes and come into the palace with the story about I'm a widow woman and my son's had a fight and one killed the other and now my family wants my, my one son who's left, who's going to be the, uh, the, the continuer of his father's name uh, and my, my, my dead husband's inheritance, uh, he, they want him dead and, and, and oh king, help me, I don't know what to do. All of this was a setup to play on David's emotions to get him to agree to bring Absalom home. Did it work? Well, yes, it did. Letter B, we see David's pain. We saw Joab's ploy in letter A. Letter B, we see Joab's pain. Look at verse number 21, and here's where we get the emotional confusion. The Bible says, And the king said unto Joab, Behold, now I have done this thing. Go, therefore, bring the young man Absalom again. And Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today thy servant knoweth that I have found grace in thy sight, my lord, O king, and that the king hath fulfilled the request of his servant. So right now you might be thinking, okay, it worked. Joab's going to go get Absalom. He's going to bring him home. Uh, David and Absalom are going to uh, come into the palace together. Uh, they're going to talk things out. There's going to be forgiveness. And everything's going to be just great. Everything's going to be fine. But hold on, look at 23. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem Verse 24, and the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. So now Absalom's been brought home. And I imagine Joab uh, counseling. Again, I'm, I, I don't know this happened, but I anticipate, uh, speculate probably it did. Joab, who is David's right-hand man and knows David uh, probably better than anyone on planet Earth, he's given Absalom uh, advice on how to handle his father. And, and he's trying to play mediator between the two. And they get back uh, to Jerusalem. And David says, send Absalom back to his house. I don't want to see Absalom. I don't want to deal with with Absalom. Now, uh, why? Why would David, in verse 1, say that his heart longed for him, but now we're in verse 24, and David doesn't want to see him? And I believe the reason for that is, is David felt a world of pain in his heart about all that Absalom had done, but not only all that Absalom had done, all that he had done. You see, Absalom murdering Amnon was a reminder that he had murdered Uriah. I don't think David had ever really forgiven himself for that. I think David still grieved over the sin he had committed with Bathsheba and Uriah and all that had happened with Amnon and Tamar and now here with Absalom. And Absalom coming into his presence would have meant looking at some ways himself in the mirror and having to deal with his own demons and having to deal with his own struggles. And David had much emotional confusion. He loved Absalom and he wanted things right with Absalom, but he was not yet ready to deal with it when push came to shove. Real quick here, uh, it, it is better for you to 
tackle emotional struggles you have with people and make reconciliation no matter how painful it is than just to let it go, especially when the other person's ready uh, to come and sit with you and work through it. I have said many times that for reconciliation to take place, both Parties who are the offender and the offended must humble themselves and come to the middle and find that mediation, find that reconciliation. And you may be the offended, you may have done nothing wrong, someone may have wronged you deeply, and you may have an offender who is uh, very sorry for what they did and wants to make things right. If you're not willing to come uh, to the middle and meet with them and make peace with them, then reconciliation cannot be found. Both parties must be willing to reconcile for reconciliation to take place. And here I get the sense that Absalom may have been ready to sit down with David and talk. David was not ready to sit with Absalom and talk. He sends him to his own home. He will not deal with him. David makes a grave mistake right here, and he is going to end up paying a heavy price for it. We see letter A, Joab's ploy. Letter B, David's pain. Letter C, we see Absalom's passion. Absalom's passion. Look with me at verse number 25, and we get the idea that Joab, or rather Absalom, is a very, very conceited, proud, arrogant, vain man. Look at 25. But in all Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. The guy had not a rash. He didn't have any acne. I, I mean, listen, from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot, he was physically perfect. That's quite a statement to make. I don't think any of us here can say that. But uh, uh, listen, um, I tell some of the men here, I said, boy, you look good. And then they, they smile and I say, from the neck down. Amen? Uh, from the neck up, there's not so much us guys can do, but we do what we can from the neck down. But uh, Absalom was beautiful, the Bible says. He was a good-looking man. Look at verse number 26. The Bible says, and when he pulled his, he- his head... For it was at every year's end that he pulled it, because the hair was heavy on him, therefore he pulled it. He weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. That's, listen, that's a lot of hair. That's a lot of hair, alright? Uh, I've known some folks with a lot of hair. Uh, my wife, God's blessed her with a full head of hair. Uh, but that is a, for a man, that is a lot of hair. And he was so proud of it that every year he would weigh his hair to see how much more it weighed so he could brag on himself. We see the, the vanity of him. He's passionate about everything he takes on. Uh, the Bible says in verse 27, in Absalom there were born three sons and one daughter. Now this is interesting, whose name, the daughter, was Tamar. She was a woman of a fair countenance. Isn't it interesting that Absalom names his daughter after the sister who was raped? You get the idea that Absalom hasn't let this thing go. He's not moved on. He names his daughter this because this is what is in his heart. This is what's important to him. This event of what happened with Amnon and Tamar and him murdering Amnon has come to define the very uh, essence of who he is and the thoughts that he thinks. And he's so passionate about it, he's named his daughter after his sister. Absalom was a man who was living in a disillusioned state. 28, so Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem and saw not the king's face. Two years go by. And David and Absalom are not on speaking terms. Therefore, Absalom sent for Joab to have sent him to the king. But he would not come to him. 
And when he sinned again the second time, he would not come. So uh, he's petitioning Joab. Hey, let me in to see dad. Let me in to see dad. And he's getting ignored. And you don't, you don't uh, snub an arrogant man like Joab and not pay a price. Therefore, he sent him to his servant. See, Joab's field is near mine. And he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. Well, this will get his attention. And Absalom sent uh, servants. Uh, Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom into his house and said unto him, Wherefore have thy servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I have sent unto thee, saying, Come hither, that I may send thee to the king, to say, Wherefore am I come from Geshur? It had been good for me to have been there still. So, therefore, let me see the king's face, and if there be any iniquity in me, let him kill me. So Joab came to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. So uh, Absalom now has forced a meeting with dad. He's gone and uh, asked Joab twice for a meeting with dad, and uh, he has been snubbed, and so then he burns Joab's barley field to the ground. He comes and says, why did you build my, burn my field to the ground? And he says, I burned it to the ground because you're ignoring me. What do I need to do to see my father? Let me in to see my father. If I've done something so horrible, then let him put me to death. So they have a forced meeting. You say, well, the Bible says that they, you know, they hugged each other. The Bible says that they kissed each other. Well, we're going to find out in chapter 15 that this was all surface and did nothing. This meant nothing. Things are about to go from bad to worse. Uh, listen, Absalom and David still have a deep issue with each other that they've not dealt with. Let me pause right here and just say uh, to everyone here tonight, who is it in your life where you have a root of bitterness with them and it runs deep? I want to warn you, you need to deal with it now. You need to deal with it right now. If that person is not on speaking terms with you and will not be on speaking terms with you, then you need to get on your face with God and you need to tell God that you need help forgiving that person. And you need to forgive them and you need to be ready to reconcile with them when they're ready. Could Absalom help that David wouldn't see him? No, but Absalom very well could have gotten on his face and said, my dad's made some mistakes in his life, and my dad has no excuse for his behavior, but I forgive my father. Now, uh, how do you forgive someone who's wronged you so deeply? You forgive them by taking your right to punish them and releasing that to God. You release that to God. Why? Because He is the arbiter of justice. He is the one that exacts vengeance. The word vengeance in the Bible comes from the same root word as the word wrath. And we know that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. But not only does vengeance belong to the Lord, but wrath belongs to the Lord and anger belongs to the Lord. And we give these things to the Lord and we let God punish in His time and in His way. All right, from our study of David, we've been, in, we've been looking at David all uh, year long on Sunday evenings. Uh, have we seen examples throughout the uh, story of David where God punished David over his sin? We've seen a lot of examples of that, have we not? Do you think God was able to punish David over his treatment of Absalom? Do you think God eventually would have punished David over his treatment of Absalom? We all know the answers to those questions are yes. But Absalom is going to take matters into his own hands 
And Absalom is going to suffer as a result. And many other people are going to suffer as well. We see David's emotional confusion in number one. Notice number two, Absalom's conspiracy. Absalom's conspiracy. Let's go to chapter 15. Now, um, when we hear the word conspiracy, what's the next word we think of generally? Theory, right? It's a conspiracy theory that you think conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy that you think conspiracy theory every time you hear the word conspiracy, right? Uh, They don't want you to believe that there are real conspiracies out there. And I am not a conspiracy theorist. I do think there's a lot of corruption that goes on. Uh, where you have power, you have corruption because you have sinful men running things. And that just goes without saying. I'm not going to spend my life investigating every conspiracy out there because I've got better things to do with my time. And I'm going to let God be God and I'm going to be me. Amen? Uh, but uh, conspiracies do happen. And there was mutiny in the, in the wing, uh, uh, waiting in the wing. And Absalom was about to try to overthrow Dad's kingdom. Letter A, we'll see. Uh, his bitterness toward his father. Look at verse number 1. This, 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 this disheartenment has turned to bitterness, full-blown bitterness. And now Absalom, who is angry at his father and uh, conniving toward his father, is now going to try to take dad's kingdom away from him. Look at verse 1, chapter 15. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared his chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, that Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which had any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. So he's full of flattery. Verse 6, And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. Look at this next part of the verse. If you are in the habit of marking your Bible, underline this phrase. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. What did Absalom do? Every day, he would intercept those on the way to the palace to see the king. And he would say to them, Dad's busy, but you know what? I can help you. I can help you. And, uh, and, and, and he would counsel with and love on. He would minister to the people of Israel. Remember back in chapter 14, the lady that came in with a problem and David took the time to listen to her? David was a shepherd of God's people. That's why he had been put in that spot, to be a shepherd of of God's people, and now Absalom slips in to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's now ministering to the people, but he has an ulterior motive. It isn't to help the people, it's to win their hearts so he can overthrow Dad's palace. And the Bible says that he did this long enough to where he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Oh, what a shame. Do you know that you can do all of the right things, but it be a grave sin because your motive is wrong? Your motive is wrong. When you're you're trying to give people good advice so that you can just 
take them for all they're worth or take them in a direction that's unhealthy for them or build your own kingdom instead of God's. You're in it for all the wrong reasons. Here Absalom is giving good advice. Here Absalom is helping. Here Absalom is doing that which is uh, saying those things which are right to help the people brought before him, but it's with the intention of building their loyalty so he can overthrow dad. He's doing this not because he wants to help the people. He's doing this because he's bitter toward his father. Letter A, his bitterness toward his father. We need to check our motives with all that we do, and we need to do it out of a heart of love. That's right to the Lord. Let her be, notice his betrayal of his father. Look at verse number 7. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow, which I abode at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. You may remember David got his start ruling in Israel in Hebron. That was where he spent the first seven and a half years. Verse 11, And with Absalom went two hundred men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, uh, the, the uh, Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, uh, while he off, uh, offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. He goes there, he gets into Hebron, it is announced that he is king, and boy, there are people that rally to his aid, and now there is a building armament growing to march into Jerusalem and kick David out of his palace and make Absalom king and dispose of David. But David uh, was no simpleton. David knew how to handle conspiracies. David knew he was a man of skilled and seasoned war. And David was not just going to sit on the sideline and let his son run him over. We see, number one, David's emotional confusion. Number two, Absalom's conspiracy. Number three, notice David's counter. David's counter. We're going to get through three tonight and we'll move on and cover four. I've got a total of seven points. So we'll look at four through seven next Sunday evening. Let's get through number three here. By the way, uh, letter C is not in your notes. Um, uh, in between B and C there will be another subpoint. Just pen, you can just pencil that in there and uh, the letter C will actually be letter D. But let's jump in here. Letter A, notice his departure from Jerusalem. So David ups, he gets up, and he just leaves Jerusalem because he doesn't want to go blow to blow. He's not ready to go blow to blow with the son whom he loves. Look at verse 13. We're going to read down through verse 29 with little comment. The Bible says, And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are, are after Absalom. I just want to pause here and say, There are many leaders who are afraid of an Absalom coming in and taking over their church. There are many leaders who uh, are very suspicious and concerned about strong leaders around them. And I'm going to tell you why. This church has been blessed. Uh, I'm the church's third pastor. Praise the Lord. All three pastors have lived their life in a way that's honorable. And there have been diff three different styles of leadership here, but all of us, all three of us have preached the Word of God 
and have sought to lead the church in a way that pleases the Lord. Uh, no, there's not been a sexual indiscretion uh, from the pastorate against the church. And I, I feel that this church, uh, compared to other churches I've been a part of, uh, has a purity about it. And I praise the Lord for that. There's a trust from the pastor to the people and the people toward the pastor. And I can't even begin to tell you how much I value that. In a lot of churches, the deacon board or uh, there's a man or woman in the church who just gives the pastor a run for his money. And the pastor constantly has to look over his shoulder and make sure that such and such is behaving and not creating uh, any more of a rift in the church. And in a lot of ways, those pastors are handcuffed and, and really can't leave the church. But I believe God wants a pastor to gather around him men and women who are strong in the Lord, love the Lord, and are willing to follow the pastor while the pastor follows God and get in the trenches and help the pastor do the work of loving on the flock of God. I thank God for all of the deacons and uh, beyond that, the men of our church who help me help you uh, and help me love on the church. And uh, uh, never ever let a position, never ever let any authority given to you here ever go to your head to where you create a rift and a problem. And uh, you ever have an issue with the pastor or leadership, There's the door is always open to my office. Boy, you come talk to us, come talk to me, and let's work through that thing. But it is a, it is a, an act of Satan to stand up and steal the hearts of people within a church and split a church in half. It's an act of the devil. Listen, God does not want His kingdom divided. He wants His kingdom to be built upon and grown. And uh, don't ever, ever, ever be involved in a situation where someone gets sideways with the leadership of this church and you go join that team. Oh, I have seen it happen in churches. I have seen churches split. I have seen assistant pastors rise up against the pastor and, and try to run him out of the church. I have seen assistant, that same assistant pastor up and leave that church and take a whole multitude of people out the door with them to try to start another church. And my friend, that does not please the Lord does not please the Lord. Sin from a pastor needs to be dealt with. And uh, sin from any church leader needs to be dealt with. But boy, the church should come together in unity and handle those things. Here Absalom is bitter against Dad. And instead of fixing things with Dad, he decides he's just going to run Dad right off the throne. Look back with me at, at verse number 10. The Bible says, But Absalom sent spies through all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom ran through Jerusalem. Verse 13, And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth, uh, and all his household after him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. And the king went forth, and all the people after him, and tarried in a place that was far off. And all the servants passed on beside him, and all the Cherethites, and the Pelethites, and all the Gittites, six hundred men, which came after him from Gath, 
passed on before the king. And my understanding is that these are the same 600 men that were with him at Ziklag, still loyal to the king and by his side. Verse 19, Then saith the king to Ittai, the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us, return to thy place, and abide with the king, for thou art a stranger and also an exile. And David seemed to attract the exiles. Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us, seeing I go whither I may? Return thou, and take back thy brethren. Mercy and truth be with thee. And Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my lord the king liveth, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go and pass over. And Ittai the Gittite passed over. And all his men and all the little ones that were with him. This man is loyal to the king. He hardly knows him. The king, they're not very familiar with each other. But he's loyal to his king. And he's going to stay by his side. And as we'll see, he becomes one of the king's three generals a little later in the narrative. And all the country wept, uh, wept aloud um, uh, with a loud wept, wept with a loud voice. And the people passed over. The king also himself passed over the brook Kidron. And all the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. And lo, Zadok also and all the Levites were with him and bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God. And Abiathar went up until all the people had done passing out of the city. And the king said unto Zadok, Carry back the ark of God into the city. If I shall find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me again and show me both it and the uh, habitation. But if he be thus, say, I have no delight in thee. Behold, here am I. Let him do to me as seemeth good unto thee. The king said unto Zadok the priest, Art thou not a seer? Return in the city in peace, and your two sons with you, Ahimaaz thy son, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar. See, I will tarry in the plain of the wilderness until there come word from you to certify me. Zadok therefore and Abiathar carried the ark of God again to Jerusalem, and they tarried there. A lot going on there, but David leaves the city behind. Uh, his men who are loyal to him follow him out of Jerusalem. He leaves ten women who are concubines behind to care for the palace. And David goes, he meets a man named Ittai, or however you pronounce that. I don't speak Hebrew, but take, uh, meets him, and this guy refuses to leave his side. And so David continues to let him go and be loyal to him. What do we have here? We have David in transition. We have David abandoning the palace in order to avoid an immediate conflict with Absalom. Let her be. We see his despair over Absalom, his despair over Absalom. Look at verse number 30 with me. Notice here it says, And David went up by the ascent of Mount Oliver and wept as he went up. Look here, had his head covered. He went barefoot. All the people that was with him covered every man his head and they went up weeping as they went up. David is leading the nation in a time of great sorrow. Look at 31. And one told David, saying, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And he's going to do this both to David's hurt, later we'll see, and to David's help. And uh, God did turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. But the whole nation who uh, is loyal to David, those following David out of the country are grieving as they go. I just want to add this before we move on. And, and we're, get, we're almost done here. I'm going to close out the message. But I, I just want to add this here. 
if you have a child who's wayward from the Lord, a good place for you to start is on your knees in prayer, weeping over their soul. Get on your knees and pray for them. And love on them in grief. It's okay to grieve. I feel that we live in a culture where happiness is so over-celebrated. Listen, being happy is a spiritual trait. It is one attribute of joy. and It's something we ought to experience. But there is still the verse in Matthew 5, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Sometimes we need to grieve. We need to grieve over our children. We need to grieve over our sin. We need to grieve over their sin. And here David is in despair over Absalom's behavior. Letter C, we see his devotion to God. His devotion to God. That's the one you have to pencil in. Look at chapter 15, verse 32. The Bible says, And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God, behold, Hushai, that guy, the archite, came to, meet with, uh, came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. Turn over to Psalm chapter 3 with me, if you would. Psalm chapter 3 in your Bibles. David is, is grieving. The people are grieving that are following David. There's great angst in the air. There's great concern about the future. Nerves are on high. Tensions are, 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 are so strong. Uh, they can be felt in the air. And David is on the run. Look at Psalm 3. Look at the heading there. It says, The Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. I preached an entire sermon out of this chapter some time back. But let's just look at it briefly here. The Bible says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. I love this next part of it. My glory and the lifter up of mine head. You ever been there where you just need someone to come along and put their hand, finger under your chin and just lift your head up a little bit and say, Hey, Pick your head up. Everything's going to be okay. That's what the Lord does. That's what He did for David in this time. He was the lifter up of His head. Look at verse 4. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and He heard me out of His holy hill. Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for Thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbones. Thou hast broken the teeth. Uh, 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 thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Let's read verse eight together. Ready? Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Here David is in a great time of despair. Can I tell you what I would have been tempted to do if I had been in this spot with David? I would have been tempted to beat myself up so bad over my past sins and I would have been so tempted to hyper-focus on Absalom's mistakes that I would have almost forgotten to even acknowledge that God existed. How many of you right there with me? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what we need to do? Even when we've made mistakes... And we put ourselves in a bad place. We need to stop and we need to acknowledge that God works all things for our good. 
when we love Him and we do that, which we, 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 and we do what we're called according to His purpose, His devotion to God. No matter how you've gotten to where you are, no matter how bad your life is, stop being disillusioned, stop and turn to the Lord, and lay that complaint at His feet, and ask Him uh, to give you peace in your heart. Worship the Lord. Letter D, lastly, notice His directions to Hushai. Look at verse 32. This is where David really wins the war. David's going to beat Absalom, and uh, we can read, we'll go through the next uh, two or three chapters next week. But this tactical decision right here is where David is going to win the entire war against his son Absalom. Look at 32. And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount uh, where he worshipped God, behold, Ushai the archite came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. Unto whom David said, If thou passest on with me, then thou shalt be a burden unto me. But if thou return to the city and say unto Absalom, I will be thy servant, O king, as I have been thy father's servant hitherto, so will I now ask, uh, so will I now, so will I now also be thy servant, then mayest thou for me defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. For hast thou not there with thee Zadok and Abiathar the priest? Therefore it shall be that what things soever thou shalt hear out of the king's house, thou shalt tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priest. Behold, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimahaz, Zodak's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them ye shall send unto me everything that uh, that ye can hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. So Hushai is going to go in. He's going to become part of Absalom's counselors, we'll see next week, and he's going to help foil the plot against David working an inside job. It's just getting more interesting. You need to be back next Sunday uh, to continue to hear how this thing plays out. Now, I'm going to wrap up the message and just say this. Some of you here tonight, it would be a good idea for you to begin the process of letting go of some grievance or mistake or error uh, that someone has made against you. You say, but pastor, they're not sorry for what they did. And to that I would say, you cannot help how they feel. You cannot help what they've done. You cannot help where they're going with it, but you can help what you do. And you can begin the process right now of forgiving them. Forgiving you. Now hear me out. I'm going to say this and I'll be done. Watch this now. Forgiveness cannot be earned. It can only be given. If you're waiting for someone to earn your forgiveness, they're never going to earn your forgiveness. They're never going to earn your forgiveness. Because the only way for them to earn your forgiveness is if they hadn't done the offense to begin with. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is given. Now you can forgive someone and not trust them. But you need to choose tonight to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you if you're saved. Let's not let disillusionment spoil us, spoil relationships, uh, taint our lives, ruin our lives. At the end of the story, spoiler alert, Absalom is going to be killed. Because he was injured by the way his dad treated him, and he never dealt with it properly. He never let it go, and it ended up being the end of his life. It ended up ruining his life. Let's not let uh, the end of relationships happen because we can't forgive. We can't Move on. Let's not be disillusioned. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Lord, I do pray that tonight, as we have a time of invitation and prepare for the Lord's Supper, I do pray tonight that you'd help us 
to be a people, Lord, who wholeheartedly seek to deal with past hurts. Lord, we see that uh, these sins and this family ended up leading to yet one more person's death and Dad's heart being broken even further. Lord, let's not let that happen to us here tonight. For we've been wronged, may we be quick to forgive. May the, may the graveyard of past mistakes of others be large in our own backyards. May we bury the mistakes of others quickly. May we deal with those things. May we forgive others as you continually forgive us. Free us. Lord, may a mom or dad tonight find their way to their knees and begin to grieve and pray over a, a, a child who's wayward. And Lord, bring those children, those prodigals home and help them, God, to find their way back into church and their way back into a righteous lifestyle. Lord, meet with us during this time of invitation in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet.